Well, again, it looks like Wonderland up here, uh, but we're still in the middle of our struggle series. Uh, so I asked, I asked the tech guys, hey, could we make the Ferris wheel like go off its rocker or like break down or like sparks or something? Because today we're talking about some struggles in Wonderland, right? It may look pretty up here, but you know, people look like they have it all together on the outside, but on the inside there's still struggles. You know, so if you were to have my perspective this morning and look at the, there's always a backside to Wonderland. And uh, there's a lot of strings and wires and things that we're hiding from you on this side so that it looks, looks pretty on, on this side. And that's the way a lot of lives are. You know, it, it, we, we try to put up this front of everything's okay, but on the inside everything's not okay. We, we struggle and so again, we're in the middle of this struggle series in Jacob's. We saw a struggle for purpose, his, his struggle with life's curveballs last week, and today we're going to look at Jacob's struggle with authority, his struggle with authority. Uh, raise your hand in here, all right, if you didn't agree with your parents growing up, okay, yep, that's most of us. Raise your hand if you've ever worked for a bad boss. If your boss is sitting next to you, don't raise your hand. Wouldn't advise it. Uh, raise your hand if you had a teacher that you didn't respect and you didn't listen to. Go ahead, admit it. We were all there. You shot spitballs at them when they weren't looking. You put a pin on their chair. You know, I can't believe you guys. Uh, raise your hand if you had a coach that you didn't like, that you didn't agree with, you didn't get along with. Uh, how about this? Raise your hand if you've ever uh, had a politician you didn't see eye to eye with. Wow. All right, all right. We're, we're all in the same boat here this morning. We've all struggled with authority. And Jacob was no different. Jacob struggled with authority. So what do we do? How do we respond when we have this struggle with authority? When we don't like the people who are above us, the people who are telling us what to do, what do we do when we don't get along with a parent, when we don't get along with a boss, when, when we, we don't like the person that got elected? What do we, what do? We do? Because oftentimes what we think we should do is, you know what, I'm going to tell the world on Facebook and they need to hear my opinion uh, of how I don't like this person or how I don't get along with it. Or we go behind their back and we start talking about them. We start building an army. And what's, what's the right approach? How do we struggle? Do we just go into storm into our office and tell them off and quit our job and walk out? You know, what, what do we do when we have this struggle with authority? And not, not simply, there, there's a lot of levels here. What do you do when you don't like somebody? What do you do when, when uh, the person above you is not good at what they do? Ever been in that situation? It's like, I could do that better, or that person could be better, and we've got just somebody who's incompetent working above me. And I go, what do you do? Or what do you do when you have somebody working above you who's corrupt, right? They're evil. They're, they're doing the wrong things. They're doing the, how do we respond to that? God, why would you put them in this place? So how do we respond when we have this struggle with authority? So if you got your Bibles, open them up to Genesis chapter 30. We're going to be looking again. We're going to be continuing the story of Jacob. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, Jacob's not just some random dude that we're talking about in the sanctuary this morning. Jacob is a character in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 30, he was a real person. Uh, it took place. And so let me give you the quick recap. Jacob's story starts a couple generations before him with his father, his grandfather Abraham. God promised Abraham that through his descendants the whole world would be blessed. Uh, that that their, the descendants would be more than the, 
the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, all those different things. It was going to be great that he was going to give him a promised land. And uh, so Abraham got this promise. Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac got the same, same promise. And then Isaac had two boys of his own, uh, Esau and Jacob. But the problem was Esau was the older. You'd think Esau would get the promise. But somehow Jacob, whose name meant deceiver, deceived his way into getting that promise getting the birthright, getting, getting the blessing from his father. He, he tricked him, but eventually, through all these struggles that he had, God met him, and he finally gave in and said, all right, God, I'm going to follow your way rather than following my own. And in that moment, God uh, blessed him. God passed this promise down to Jacob that, again, through his descendants, the whole world was going to be blessed, and things were looking up. Jacob is finally like, all right, I'm not going to struggle anymore. I'm not going to deceive people anymore. So he goes off, and right away, God boom, gives him a wife, right? And he's so excited, he meets the girl of his dreams, and so he says, I'm going to work seven years uh, so that I can, I, I can have my wife. And so he does it. He says it seems like a day. And then last week, we, we learned that struggle, Jacob didn't run into struggle, but struggle found Jacob anyways. And he wakes up the next morning and realized his father-in-law duped him, his boss duped him. It was the other sister, right? It wasn't the Rachel who he had worked for for seven years. It was Leah. And that had to be very shocking for him. And so he decides rather than uh, uh, just stay married to one wife, he decides, well, let's, let's do two wives. And this is where he ran into more struggle. Again, don't have a favorite wife. We learned that last week. That doesn't work out. Don't marry more than one wife. And so he runs into this trouble, and he marries Rachel. He works another seven years. So this is where we pick up our story. He's worked 14 years for this father-in-law, this boss who's duped him, who's, who's tricked him into doing this, who's tricked him into working for him a, a long time. And in this process, he's had 11 boys and one girl in seven years. That's a lot of kids in a short amount of time. So you can see why Jacob would struggle in life, right? I mean, that would, that would be difficult. But uh, so he comes to this point of just, okay, I've served my 14 years. I've done my time. And this is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 30, verse 25. And, and we see him at the end of the 14 years. And Jacob is, he's done with his boss. Uh, it says this in verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph... Jacob said to Laban, that's his father-in-law, his boss, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children from whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. So again, Jacob, he gets to the end of his 14 years and he just says, that's it. I've had enough. I've served my time. Peace out. Like, I, I'm getting out of here. I've got my family now. Remember, God's promised him. He's promised him this promised land back in Bethel. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you the surrounding territory. And, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. He's already got 12 kids. He, he's well on the way of multiplying. Uh, he's getting there. This is going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. And he's just like, I am done. I'm done working for this guy. He's a cheater. He, he, he's a liar. And he's just done. You ever been in a place like that at your job where you just felt like, I'm out of here. This is getting difficult. This is frustrating. I've put in my time. Or maybe you're getting to the point of retirement. It's like, all right, I hit the right number. See you later. Uh, don't call me. 
I'll be on an island somewhere. I'll, I'll, I'll be in front of my, my TV screen. I'll, I'll be doing whatever. And, and you just get out of here. You, you're ready to leave because you just feel unproductive. You feel like you're just spinning your wheels. You feel like you're working with difficult people. And, and, and it's just constant. And you say, I'm done. I'm done. But as Jacob learned in this situation, just because situations are difficult doesn't mean it's time to go. I think some of you need to hear that today. Just because a situation is difficult does not mean that it's time to go. See, you may be in a difficult place this morning and you don't like it. And you're just ready to escape your problems and run the other way. But sometimes, even in our difficult situations, God has us there for a reason. God, God has us in that place. And if we don't stay in that place, then there's going to be no change. Then, then the people who need to hear about Jesus aren't going to hear about Jesus uh, we see that if you've heard of the story of Jonah, it's a book in the Bible. You know, Jonah, the guy who got swallowed by a big fish and spit out all that fun stuff. See, Jonah, God called him to a difficult place. He called him to a difficult place. He called him to the land of Nineveh to tell the people there who were wicked people, who were violent people, who were people who he was probably worried were going to destroy him. There were people that he thought didn't deserve a second chance. They didn't deserve to hear God's word, but God called them there, tell them to repent, tell them, tell them they need to turn from their ways, and Jonah said, no, that's difficult. And he went the exact opposite direction, and he ran away. See, sometimes difficult situations doesn't mean that God is calling you away from those. Sometimes he calls us into those difficult situations. Jonah ran from God's plan, and that was the wrong way, and he had to find out the hard way. He had to get swallowed by a fish, or thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, spit back out, and still have to go back into that difficult situation. And this is what Jacob's doing. He's thinking, it's difficult, I've got a corrupt boss, and, and there's something bigger out there for me. God's promised me this, like, I need to get back on track here. But in both of these cases, in Jonah's and in Jacob's, they were leaving for the wrong decision. They were leaving for the wrong choice. So today, you might be in a difficult job. You, you may have difficulties in your marriage. You may be in a difficult living situation or a difficult apartment. You may be in a difficult school. But let me say this. Don't leave simply because it's difficult. Now, there may be other reasons that you need to leave, but don't leave simply because it's difficult. See, I'm glad, I'm glad this morning that, that Jesus didn't run from difficult situations. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't just give up on the cross because it hurt or because it was hard. I, I, I'm glad that he said, you know what, God, even though, even though this is difficult, even though this is hard, I know this is your will and I'm going to follow you even into the difficult. I'm glad that the disciples, they didn't give up telling the world about Jesus just because it was difficult, just because they faced persecution everywhere they went, just because they faced death everywhere they went. I'm glad they didn't give up. And I'm glad that the church hasn't give up, given up over the centuries, over the different generations. I mean, that's why we're here today, because someone told somebody who told somebody who told somebody who kept passing it down until it hit us. I'm glad they didn't give up just because it was difficult, just because it was hard. So don't run from difficult situations just because they're difficult. So how do we know? How do we know when to stay, when to go? Because sometimes it's the right time to leave, even in difficulties. How do we know when to stay and when to go? So let's look a little bit closer at Jacob's decision for uh, what he was going to do and, and how he decided to stay or go. Because remember, 14 years in, he was done. He was ready to leave. Uh, but we find out 
that Laban comes to him, his boss comes to him, and he begs him, Jacob, please don't leave. I'll pay you whatever you want. I'll do what I, I'll stop determining it. You just, I'll pay you whatever I want, or whatever you want. And Jacob decides to stay. But we find out later, Jacob didn't stay because of the pay raise. Jacob didn't stay because of the control uh, that he got. And, and that's often what we do. We think, all right, God, that, that was good. You know, he, uh, you use this situation as leverage, you know, and he finally got some leverage on his boss, and that's a good place to stay. But no, he didn't stay because of control. He didn't stay because of a higher uh, pay grade. In Genesis 31, we see the reason why he stayed. He stayed an additional six years. In verse 3 of Genesis 31, it says this, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So again, that was six years later. So he worked for 14 years, and then he stuck around for another six. And then after six years, God finally said, Jacob, you've got the green light to go. See, the reason he didn't go wasn't because of the wages. It wasn't because of the control. It was because God didn't tell him to go. And he knew this wasn't my time yet. God, you're not telling me to go. It's not my time. He only left when God told him to go. So we need to follow God's leading before we follow our feelings. And that's huge. Because often we're really good at following our feelings. I don't like that. I'm going to leave. Or I like this a lot. This must be God's will. But no, we need to follow God's leading before we follow our feelings. See, sometimes, again, God keeps you in difficult situations. And that's why it's so important that in every big decision we face in our life, we need to spend time in prayer. We need to spend time in prayer. Because we can, we can figure it out logically, we can figure it out practically, but even if it's logically makes sense and you know, financially it all works out and all these different things, sometimes it's still not God's will. And we need to spend time in prayer and make sure that this is where God wants me to be, that this is the place that we can uh, feel peace about because your feelings are not the same as God's will. Uh, it's interesting to see if we look farther into the story, centuries later, these 15 people, Jacob's family was about 15 at this point, but centuries later, experts say, scholars say that it grew to two and a half million. I mean, so they're taking off, you know, they're doing pretty good, two and a half million. But the problem was they still, centuries later, weren't in the promised land. They were slaves in Egypt. And God sent a deliverer, God sent uh, Moses, and he sent 10 plagues to free the Israelites from free God's people, Jacob's descendants, uh, from slavery in Egypt. And so he pulls them out of Egypt, but God didn't lead them on the fastest route to the promised land. He didn't take them down the easy road. He took them in a difficult path. God led them to difficult places. He, he led them to places that seemed like they were dead ends. He led them to places that didn't have water. He led them to places that felt like there was no food. He led them to dry places. He led them to difficult places. It's just like, God, why would you do that? Why would you do that? But in every step, God was with them. God provided for them. God met their, when they didn't have water, he gave them water. When they didn't have food, he, he gave them food. He gave them manna from heaven. Like God provided for them in those situations. He took them to difficult places because they had more to learn. There was, there was more to grow. And what was really cool, I wish this would still happen today. This would be so much easier if we could make decisions. But the, the, the descendants of Jacob, they literally, there was a, a cloud during the day, and there was a, a pillar of fire at night that would lead them. That was the tangible, physical representation of the presence of God. And wherever that cloud went, wherever that pillar of fire went, they would follow it. 
So if the pillar stayed, they'd stay. And it might be a day that it would stay there. It might be a week. It might be a year that it would stay there. But they would follow God's presence wherever they go. They were committed to saying, God, we're going to follow you wherever you lead us, even if it's difficult. Uh, it'll be on the screen. Exodus chapter 40 says this. Throughout all their journeys, where, where, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So today you might be in a difficult situation just like the descendants of Jacob were. But perhaps God is telling you today, you need to rely on me for protection. You need to rely on me for your provision. You need to rely on me for direction. Just follow my lead. Even in the difficult places, God is with you. God is going to help you. God is going to help you change the atmosphere and change the culture of the places that you're in. See, we can't just look for the path of least resistance, but we need to look for the path that's covered with God's peace. That's what we need to look for. I was just looking at uh, one of our missionaries that, that we support on a monthly basis. A missionary uh, to, to Ukraine just posted this this week. And if you've watched the news, you guys know what's going on in Ukraine. It's a difficult place right now. It's a difficult place to be a missionary right now. And uh, they just posted this. It was this past Monday. They said this, Saturday we, we tried to pack. I mean, we really tried both stuff to take and stuff to leave here packed. We were doing it because we were thinking specifically of our family and our other, uh, of our family members back home. And therefore decided that we should return to the U.S. But in the process, we had no peace. Felt like we were doing something wrong and it was stressful and it was an emotionally draining day. At the end of the day, before we got ready for bed, we realized that we had no green light from God to leave and that we needed to stay. It's not because we did not want to leave, because we do want to leave, but not without God's blessing. We know that the safest place for us is in the center of God's will. We know that this is not what our family wanted to hear, but it is our current reality. We will leave a couple suitcases packed just in case. Please continue to pray for us, but especially for Ukraine. It's just amazing to see. We've got missionaries on the field. They're, they're in a difficult place. But yet they're choosing to say, God, we're going to follow your will and not just our feelings. God, we're going to follow your path. Uh, we're going to follow your path of peace. And that's got to be a difficult situation. You got your bags packed. You're all ready to go. But they just didn't get the green light. And that's the way we need to live. We need to follow God's will for our life, God's direction for our life before we follow our feelings. So Jacob, he decides to stay. He says, I'm going to tough it out for a few more years. It may be difficult, but God doesn't give me the green light, and I'm not ready to go. So Jacob, he gets to set his own wages, right? And he's got, uh, he, he gets to set the parameters, and he gets to take care of Laban's flock, his boss's flock. That's his job. And so he says, okay, Laban, we're going to make this really, really easy. We're going to make this very black and white. I'm going to take all the sheep that are imperfect, all the ones with speckles, all the ones with, with spots, all the sheep and goats with speckles and spots and stripes and all that, you get all the pure ones. You get to, you get to take the nice ones. And they thought, okay, that's a, that's a good deal. So then you can't cheat me anymore. You know exactly what's mine, and, and I know what's yours, and that's what we're going to do. And so you think, all right, God's called Jacob here. God's kept him here. He didn't give him the green light. So clearly, God's going to bless Jacob. There's not going to be any more struggles. There's not going to be anything like that. 
But Laban agrees to this plan. But what Jacob doesn't know is that uh, as soon as they, I don't know if they shake hands or, you know, what, what they did to make that agreement, but as soon as the agreement was in place, as soon as they had signed the contract, Laban sends his sons out on, on a secret mission. A little something, you know, and then Jacob goes back and I, I, it doesn't say what he did, but maybe he goes and tells his family, all right, guys, unpack the suitcases. I know we were ready to go, but we're staying. God didn't give me the green light, just like our missionaries. Let's, let's unpack them. We're staying here and uh, we're going to go. But good news, uh, now that I, I've paid off my debts, uh, we're going to start earning some money. We're going to start earning some wages. So all the flocks that have the speckles and the stripes, they're ours. And we're going to start building and, and it's going to be good. We're going to get prepared to fill that promised land. It's going to be great. And so Jacob goes out into the fields. He gets ready to work. Maybe he's got a better attitude. He's ready to go. And he, he looks out over all the fields and all he sees is a sea of white. Not a speckle, not a spot, not a stripe out there. You see, the secret, secret mission that Laban had gone into, he, he went out there and took away all the imperfect sheep and all the imperfect goats, and he sent them with his sons and said, go take about a three-day journey away so Jacob can't have these. Struggle, right? Struggle hit Jacob in Wonderland that day. And I bet he thought, God, why? God, why are you doing this? Like, you told me to stay. Why are things still difficult? This doesn't make sense. So Jacob decides he, he does what he does best when things get out of his control. He tries to get control back. He formulates a plan. All right, Laban played his tricks. My name's still deceiver and liar. I'm going to take this over and I'm going to make something out of nothing. Life has given me lemons. I'm going to make lemonade out of it and I'm going to make this work. So what he did, he went out and he found, uh, and you can read it here in the Genesis story, uh, he found some branches and he took them down and he thought, I, I've got a good plan. And he started uh, peeling strips of bark off of these. And so he turned these branches into striped branches. He had white on the inside, brown on the outside. He put up striped branches and he said, all right, so if I go up to the sheep while they're watering and I stick these branches, these striped branches in front of them, then they're going to see it. They're going to visualize the goal. We're going for stripes, right? We're going for stripes here. It's kind of like at work when you put up a motivational poster. That's what Jacob did for the sheep. Like, guys, we're going for stripes, so let's go. And the crazy thing was, it worked. All of a sudden, all these sheep, all these goats, they start having striped babies, and it's just like amazing and incredible, and, and all this stuff is happening. But, but the problem with it all is that that doesn't work because science. Just because a sheep sees striped things doesn't mean it's going to have a striped baby, all right? And, and, and we look at this and it's like, why, why would this work? Why would this work? But we realize one important thing through all these years of working, Jacob realizes one important thing, is that blessing didn't come because of his craftiness. Blessing came from God. Blessings come from God. So he had a really good idea, he had really good intentions. But in reality, it was God who was giving him the increase. It was God who was blessing him. It was God who was making that all-white herd, that all-white flock, turn into a very striped and speckled and spotted group. And so Jacob's herd, they didn't grow because he outsmarted his boss. They grew because, uh, because God gave it to him. Because God allowed that increase and after some time, Jacob realized that it wasn't him that was making the increase, that it was God. See, six years later, when he, God finally gave him the green light in Genesis 31, uh, verse 6, it says this, 
he was telling his wife, Rachel, his favorite wife, uh, Genesis 31, you know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. See, no matter what difficulty his boss threw his way, God blessed Jacob. God blessed him. It wasn't anything Jacob did. It wasn't Jacob's craftiness. It wasn't his cleverness. It was God's blessing on his life. I'm pretty sure that if Laban would have changed the formula to you get all the pink sheep, I mean, God would have brought pink sheep out and, and not striped. He, he, would have, he would have made it happen. And this all happened because Jacob was following God's lead and he was following God's will. So if we want God's blessing, if we want God's blessing in our life, let's stop trying to chase after the blessing itself and let's chase after the one who gives the blessing. Let's chase after God. That's where we need to be. We need to be in God's blessing. So let's chase God. I want you to notice in verse 7 in here, it says that even though Laban was a bad boss, even though he kept changing the contract over and over and over again, it said that God did not permit Laban to harm Jacob. It didn't permit him to harm Jacob, because this is important. Because, again, this is really going to help us understand how do we deal with authority we don't get along with. No matter who is in authority, God is still in control. No matter who's in authority, God is still in control. Laban might have changed all these things and did all these things, but God was still in control. God didn't allow Laban to hurt Jacob or to take his life. God is still in control. And I think this is something for the most part we can agree on. We, we understand, you know, theoretically, yep, God is in control. But then the problem is, it's tough to believe that when we're in a difficult situation. It's tough to believe that when, you know, the politician we voted for didn't get elected. Or your boss gets power hungry and starts treating you like a servant instead of an employee. Then it's hard to recognize, okay, yeah, God, you're still in control. We try to take, our th take things into our own hands and try to, you know, do it our own way. That's when it's tough. That's when it's tough. So how do, how do we do that? How do we handle these? How did Jacob handle this, this bad boss? What does the Bible tell us when we don't get along with authority, when we struggle with that, when the people above us are corrupt, when the people above us are evil? Well, in Romans chapter 13, uh, it sheds some light on that. And it's, it's a tough verse to swallow, but I think, I think we need to hear it because it's God's word. Romans 13.1 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So it says here that all authority is God-given. The good leaders and the bad ones. And the corrupt ones. All authority is God-given. And it says, therefore, we need to obey the authorities over us. Now, the only exception to that is if our authorities are telling us to disobey God. Our ultimate authority is, is God. And so we need to follow Him first. But if our bosses, if our rulers, if our officials are telling us to do something and it's not disobeying God, then we need to obey them. We need to respect them. We need to follow God first and then follow our authority figures. 
Because, again, if your authority figure is telling you you need to lie, you need to cheat, uh, you need to steal or break any of the other Ten Commandments, then, no, let's follow God first. Let's follow, follow God's verse. But if your boss is tough on you, if they favor a coworker over you, uh, if they don't have as good of ideas as you, or they take your ideas and display them as your own, you've never had a boss like that, right? Uh, or if they don't listen to you, or if they're the opposite of a role model, or if they're critical of your work, or they micromanage you, uh, the Bible does not give us a green light to rebel, Right? The Bible does not give us a green light to rebel against our authority. Paul says if we rebel against the authority, then we are rebelling against God himself because God has given them the authority. And that's, that's difficult. That's tough. And again, it's, it's Paul writing this, and you think like, well, Paul, you must have had a pretty cush life, you know, to write something like that. Just obey everybody in control. You must have had good leaders. But no. Like, Paul was, the, the, the Caesar at that time was Nero, Nero was a bad dude. Nero was a corrupt person. He was the most diabolical of Rome's Caesars. He regularly tortured Christians. He would just set them on fire for his amusement. This was a bad guy. But yet, Paul writes that we need to respect our authorities, that we need to honor them, that we need to we need to follow them. We can't rebel against them because we're rebelling against God. I mean, Jesus, he lived in a time of corruption as well. When asked if, hey, should we pay taxes? Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Don't you know he's corrupt? Jesus, don't you, don't you know all that? And Jesus said, look at your coins. Whose picture's on there? It's not mine. It's Caesar's. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So he's saying, respect your authority. Don't, don't rebel, but follow God's leading. Follow God's leading. And so we look at Jacob. Jacob did what God told him to do. Uh, even in the midst of a corrupt boss, even over these 20 years of struggle, it said uh, that he worked with all his strength. Not just part, he didn't just, you know, Laban, you deserve this much of my effort today. You ever done that with a boss before? You don't respect them, so you only give them as much effort as you feel like they deserve? Jacob didn't do that. He said he worked with all of his strength. He said that he was always prosperous in his work. It said that Laban's flocks increased under Jacob. Jacob gave his all. Jacob gave his everything, even though he didn't like the boss that he was serving under. He gave his everything. And we see this. Uh, that's not just a Jacob principle. That's a biblical principle. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. With all your heart is working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So we need to work for the Lord and not work for your boss. All right? I'll let that sink in for a minute. In everything we do, we need to work for the Lord and not work for your boss. How would your effort change this week in your job or serving in your home or wherever you might serve? How would your effort change this week if you worked for God rather than for your boss? How would it change? I think it would transform us. I think it would try, because when we serve God, we're going to work our hardest. We're going to give our all. I always thought it was funny at uh, college, uh, we'd be going through the line. All of a sudden, some days there would be really good food on the line. And it's like, what's going on? And you find out, oh, the Board of Regents is in town. The higher-ups are in town. So we got to impress the higher-up people. And then they'd leave, and it's like, oh, 
Now we're back to this again. You know, they were trying to constantly just impress the right people at, at the right times. And that's the way we can kind of do our work is just like, oh, somebody's watching. Better work hard now. All right, they're not watching anymore. I can go back to playing solitaire. And, and we can do all these different things. But what if we worked as though we were working for God, as though we were serving Him rather than serving our bosses? Because if we did that, you know what would happen? You'd work harder. We'd work harder. And uh, not only that, you'd find more fulfillment in what you were doing because you're working for God. You're not working for some corrupt boss at that point. So we'd work harder. We'd find more fulfillment in our work. And then all of a sudden, our bosses would start to take notice. And they'd say, wow, that's a hard worker. That person's very productive. Good things are happening over there, just like Laban saw with Jacob. And now all of a sudden, now you get a promotion. Now you get to be the boss, right? And all these things and this blessing would fall on, God, on, on your life simply because you said, God, I'm going to work for you and I'm going to stop working for my boss. God, I'm going to give my best effort, all because we chose to serve God first. We chose to put him first. Lana, would you come? I want to leave you with, with this story. Uh, growing up, baseball was my favorite sport. Loved baseball. Loved playing baseball. And I got to play on some really good teams uh, in high school. We went to the state tournament two years back. back. We even got second place one time, and, and it was great. It was amazing. But the problem was I was a bench player. I just got to watch it from the sideline. I got to pinch run once. So that was cool. I wasn't even fast, but they had pity on me and threw me in the game. But I, I was waiting because there was a, a good player in front of me. And he was an upperclassman. He had more years than me. So I was just waiting for him to graduate. And finally, my senior year came along, and it was, okay, I'm the starter now. I, I, I get to play. You know, I, I get to go out. I get to go help our team to a third state uh, tournament appearance. This is going to be great. I'm, I'm excited. But the problem was I played for a coach I didn't respect. I just didn't like him. I, he was very prideful. He thought everything was about him. He was hard on the players. He didn't have respect for us. And worst of all, I just felt like he didn't like me personally. Like, he liked other people. And you ever felt that way? Just felt like he didn't like me. Like, he had it out for me. And that's why I was sitting on the bench. It wasn't because I wasn't talented. It was just because he didn't like me. That's the way I always felt. And so I'm not one to throw a big stink. So I just threw a little stink. You know, one that maybe he wouldn't notice. You ever been passive-aggressive before? Like, that was me in high school. And uh, so I would do little things like, if we were playing catch or something and getting warmed up and the coach would walk behind me, I'd accidentally, you know, like miss the ball. Maybe he'd hit him. I, I don't know, you know. It was like, sorry, coach, my bad. Sounds bad when I say that out loud, but you do things. In, in batting practice, if he was throwing me something, I would never hit it to left or right field. I'd always hit it right back up the middle just to keep him on his toes, just to make sure that fence was working, that was blocking. You know, I, I would do things like that. One day, he had, he had a younger son. His name was also Ben. And uh, he decided to practice his writing on his dad's brand new car. And so we came to practice, and on the side of his car, written with like a rock, was Ben in the side of his, his dash. And that gave me delight. And, it, and also maybe another reason why I thought, why he doesn't like me, you know? Maybe he always thought like, all right, no, I think that's, I think it was the wrong Ben. You know, but it was just, it was this constant struggle in my heart. And, and I just, I couldn't stand, like, I love baseball, but I didn't like playing for this guy. 
And so I was so consumed in my, that I didn't like this, this coach, that I didn't like playing for him, that I stopped putting in the effort I normally would into trying to be good. You know, I, I thought, hey, I'm a senior, I'm the upperclassman, this is my spot, you can't take this away from me. And so every time I'd get out there and, and I started striking out and I started making errors, I, I'd start blaming other people. I'd start pointing the finger. I, I'd start thinking, well, this guy just has it out for me. He doesn't like me. And eventually it led to me getting benched again for an underclassman. And all I could think of was, this guy's the worst. This guy's just terrible. This guy has it out for me. I was so blinded by my hatred for this coach, by my disrespect for this coach, that I didn't realize what it was doing to me. I wasn't giving my best effort. I wasn't working hard. And, and finally, I quit the team. I gave up. I walked away. Now, I wish there was a happy ending to the story, but it wasn't until years later that I realized I was wrong. I, was, I, I can't change how that coach coaches, but I am responsible for my own actions. And I could have worked harder. I, I didn't play for Jesus. I was playing for myself. And I think today we need to realize we may work for people that we don't like. There might be a parent you disagree with. There might be a politician you disagree with. But the Bible says we got to move beyond that. we, we got to move beyond that. We need to start recognizing who's really in control. And it's God, we need to start serving him and stop serving ourselves, stop serving our, our own feelings. Whatever we do, let's do it for the glory of God. Let, let's do it unto him. Let's, you know, farmers, let's plant our crops, let's harvest them, let's raise our livestock for the glory of God. Make your sales for the glory of God. Do the factory job and work in that assembly line for the glory of God. Have patience with those angry customers for the glory of God. Find new clients for the glory of God. Fix broken pipes for the glory of God. Whatever it is that you put your hands to every day, do it for the glory of God. It doesn't just have to be a job, but it's your whole life. Honor your spouse for the glory of God. Be patient and, and train up your kids. Be present with your kids for the glory of God. Get groceries, do the laundry, change dirty diapers, take out the garbage, cook supper for the glory of God. I mean, be healthy, eat healthy, exercise for the glory of God. Not so you can hit a goal. Do it to honor Jesus in everything that we do. See, our attitude changes when we start serving the highest authority. He's the only one whose opinion matters. So let's start living for an audience of one. Let's start living for an audience of the king, right? Because he's the ultimate authority. That's why we call him the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's in control. So what do we do? How do we respond when we struggle with authority? Again, we work for God, not for our boss. And we can do this because no matter the, the authority, no matter who's in charge, God is still in control. And we understand that blessing comes from God. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. Everything we have is because, of, because God gave it to us. And just because situations are difficult, it doesn't mean that it's the right time to go. We go not based on feelings, but we go based on when God leads us away from a place where God tells us to go. We need to trust in Him. So today, maybe you're struggling with authority. I think we, every hand was raised in this building. We've all struggled with authority before. And today, maybe God's speaking to you loudly on, on some different things that, that you need to change. 
And so I encourage you, maybe, maybe you need to find a place at this altar and just get alone with God and give him those things because it's some, some hard issues that you got to deal with. And for some of you, maybe you just need to go out there and make that change. You need to go to work tomorrow and have a different attitude. You need to be ready. You need, you need to say, God, this is for you. And just every day you start your work day saying, God, I'm serving you today. I'm working for you today. I'm giving you my best today. And we need to make that change. Because again, I mentioned earlier, but I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't back away from difficult situations. I'm so thankful that he didn't just run away from corrupt authority. He lived in a very corrupt time. Those guards that brought him to the cross, he could have said, no, I'm not going to listen to you. Like, don't you know, I'm Jesus. And I can do whatever I want. He, he could have run away. He could have done that. But instead, he humbled himself. And he said, God, I'm going to follow your plan. Because no matter who's in control, God, I know you're in control. And he died on that cross. He didn't deserve it, but he did it willingly for you, for this world. He did it for all of us because we've all got a sin issue. We've all got things we can't handle on our own. And the only way we can handle them is through forgiveness. The only way we can deal with those, the only way we can have that is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. See, Jesus died on the cross and after three days he rose again. He defeated sin, he defeated death. And now through him, we can have eternal life. We can have victory. And it was amazing seeing hundreds of kids at this altar this weekend just going after God and giving their lives to Jesus. And you can do the same today. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I just want to give you an opportunity today. If you feel like life's a struggle, if you feel like there's no way out, today there's hope. There's another way. And it's through Jesus. Whether you're with us in the building, you're, you're on the main floor, in the balcony, or you're joining us online, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus today. And so if you're saying, God, I, I want to make you the Lord of my life. I want to stop serving myself. I want to stop serving my bosses. And God, I want to start serving you. And you'd like to make that decision today. Would you just raise your hand and catch my eye? I'd love to pray with you. in the balcony just said yeah I want to know Jesus this morning if that's you again if you're joining us online you're here in the building would you just pray this prayer after me it's not, not anything no special words or anything like that but it's just pray it from the heart and in fact would you all just join in with me dear Jesus thank you for not running from difficult situations. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for dying for my sins. I believe that you rose again and that you will forgive me. I ask for your forgiveness today. May you be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? Thank you for praying that prayer. I believe that God is working, that God is moving. And today, maybe, maybe you're dealing with some struggles. And as always, the, these altars are open. I encourage you to spend some time here today. Don't go until you have that peace, until God says, all right, it's time to go. But if God is, is saying, nope, not yet, don't leave those doors yet, then come. Come to this altar. 
Come find a place to pray. Come make things right with God. Get your priorities straight. Get, your, get, get the flow chart right. God's at the top of that. He's the ultimate authority today. And we can serve him willingly. And we can serve him faithfully today with all of our heart. So let's pray. Jesus, God, I, I thank you that you are in control. I thank you that you still speak today. Thank you that you're in this place. So God, guide us, lead us. God, as we leave this place, as we go into our jobs, as we go into our homes, God, that we would, that we would listen, that we would serve, not just the boss, but God, that we would serve you. And God, may your blessing follow. God, may your, your increase follow, just as it did Jacob. He still went through struggles. Well, God, you blessed him in his struggles. He still went through struggles, but yet you were with him in his struggles, in his hardest moments, in his toughest times. So God, be with us today as we leave this place, as we chase after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed, church.